0: Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you, and the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul. The show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current Big Law Media attorney.
1: And I'm your other co host, Mesh Lakani, Swifty fan. Paul, we were just talking about how gorgeous the weather in New York has been. And we may have, you know, we weren't, we're giving New York a hard time with its weather, but the fall weather right now is just on point.
0: Yeah, you know, to be fair, so. The start of October, last weekend of September, was like a hurricane or something, and it was cold and rainy for a week straight, it seemed. So I think we were complaining about that. But the rest of October has been gorgeous, and this week should be gorgeous as well. So thanks for fall. It's always been my favorite season in New York, and uh, this one has not disappointed.
1: Yeah, this one's been really, really nice. It's sunny. It's just like breezy enough to wear a jacket. If you stay in the sun, it's been really lovely. Like people are out and about. I haven't even worn a jacket this month. Really? No, just a long sleeve shirt. Oh, there
0: you go. Yeah. So, happy Halloween, everyone. I I know it's a fun holiday. Hope everyone stays safe. Yeah.
1: Good Halloween vibes though. Generally in New York, you know, I, I took some time to look at the houses, look at all the decorations. It's always fun. People get into the spirit of things. Speaking of getting into the spirit of things, let's kick it off. Taylor Swift album, Midnights. I've actually listened to this album. I just listened to it over the past few days. The album's great. She's clearly killing it. It was done very well. It's had over 486 million on-demand streams. That's both audio and video. Within six days of release, has already sold over a million albums. Taylor Swift is killing the game right now.
0: She set the record for most streams of an album in one day, 184.6 million. And in 24 hours, same number. And she was the most streamed act in 24 hours, which is 228 million. So um, just for those keeping score at home, she beat Drake in the album category by about 30 million. And she beat Bad Bunny in the most streamed act in 24 hours category by about 30 million.
1: I guess, you know, I don't, I'm not really comparing it to anything else. I was just like, what is my listening experience going to be like? And I found it quite pleasant. I was like, okay, I'm listening to this album. I've gotten through, I'm not skipping any songs. It's been enjoyable. Obviously my favorite album is Red. And if you get the extended version, it's like 20 songs. I like the theme of the album, Midnights, which is her having these like Night dreams when she's just looking up at the ceiling from her bed, and they're just these stories. She's creative. She's very good at what she does. That's you got to give it to her.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is not love story, right? Or I don't know. I just I feel like early Taylor Swift had had more sort of like emotion and hits. There were hits. Yeah, too. Red
1: was a great album. Sure. Listen, she's bona fide. There's no. There's no arguing that. It's it's weird. I, I, I'm glad you liked it. You know, it's funny. Like, I've always liked Taylor Swift. I, you know, one of the other things I read about was that she got some backlash for her video, anti-hero video, which I haven't seen, though. But she had to remove some pieces of it. So regardless, she's just people are watching this stuff. She's been in the news. People obviously love her. They love the album. It's good for her. Yeah. Another great piece of news for
0: the South Asian community, I guess, the UK prime minister is Rishi Sunak, who is a uh, South Asian, a British Indian, son of a doctor, also happens to be his wife, is super rich. His father-in-law founded Infosys, and they have, I think, collectively about a percent of that company or just a little bit under, which is valued at, like, I think, close to $800 million. And so he's super loaded. Also, you know, went to Oxford, former Goldman banker. You know, and now he's the most powerful political person in the UK. And from a former colony to the prime minister, it's like a pretty great narrative, right? Um, At least on the surface.
1: It's a cool narrative. Let's see what he can do. The, The former prime minister, Liz Truss, quit after 45 days. You know, the UK has been it's been a volatile period. So hopefully he can bring the country together, they can move forward. Let's see if he does a good job. I hope he does. I hope he does a good job. I hope he does,
0: too. And, you know, Liz Truss had, a, as you said, brief and tumultuous tenure. You know, he couldn't beat Liz Truss sort of when Boris right. Johnson stepped down, and then she kind of, you know, sabotaged or whatever. She she couldn't continue, and it was only seven weeks, and then there were no better options. So, finally, you know, he's in power, and hopefully he can do a great job. It's, it's a challenging situation, obviously, with inflation and economic slowdowns happening around the world. So it's not going to be easy. But if anyone can do it, I have faith in him. And the bar's raised for all those South Asians out there. All those South Asian parents are now going to be like, hey, why aren't you prime minister? Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, totally. And OK, in other news, this is this is big news. James Gunn and producer Peter Safran, have been top to lead DC's film, TV, and animation as co-chairs and co-CEOs of DC Studios. Gunn will focus on the creative side of things, but I think the exciting thing here is that, look, James Gunn has just done really good stuff for DC as well as Marvel. Who better than that creative mind to be part of DC's big process now? And and Saffron was a producer on the movies that Gunn had made, so it's an interesting team. It is an
0: interesting team. And I think, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum on Better Call Paul. So Warner Brothers merged with Discovery. The CEO of Discovery, David Zaslav, is now running the combined company. He's made some changes over at Warner Brothers, and he's been looking to compete with Marvel. If you're a comic fan, you know DC has great characters in their comics, but it hasn't really translated to box office in the same way as Marvel. And so... It's a lot of sort of untapped potential there. DC has had good movies, you know, here and there, but not a cohesive universe. And that's something that's very important to current leadership. So last episode, we talked about Walter Hamada, who was the prior head of DC's studios, stepped down. He waited for Black Adam to come out. And so he's out. And we talked about who's the next person going to be, who is DC's Kevin Feige going to be. And it's interesting to me because it's one of those things that, when you hear about it, it looks obvious, but it wasn't even a week ago. But if you can't beat him, join him because you're right. I mean, James Gunn did two Guardians movies. He's working on the third. He's doing a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special for Disney Plus. He's one of Kevin Feige's guys. I don't know about protege, but he's a very talented writer, director. He made Suicide Squad and The Peacemaker, which are great. And
1: so, you know, who better than him to take this position? Yeah, just to be clear, he did the, like, reboot of Suicide Squad after the terrible first version of it. Fans loved it. Peacemaker was a spinoff of that. Generally, well-received well show. I'm a little confused. How can you be working on a Marvel film and a DC film at the same time? I don't know if there's any, like, conflict there.
0: I don't think he can really dig into this DC job until may when guardians three comes out yeah he's working on the guardians holiday special for disney plus and then guardians three comes out in may and i assume at that point he'll just be full-time dc
1: i would imagine if you bring someone on as the head of dc that hey you're only going to be working on dc movies
0: yeah i think so i mean there i haven't seen anything disclosing his comp for this i imagine that they had to sort of like back up the armored truck to his house to get this deal done. And they were, you know, DC was desperate to find someone to lead them. And if he can deliver and even, you know, be, you know, 80, 75% of what Kevin Feige is, that's a huge, huge home run for Dave Zaslav. He could probably name his price. I don't think the deal has been announced as far as his compensation or the term or anything like that. But like, let's get to work. I think, so James Gunn, he tweeted last week, he and Kevin are still friends. Like, he loves Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige was the first person he told after he did this deal. And it's not as if they're rivals. It's like Coke and Pepsi are competitors, but they're not necessarily, like, what's good for one isn't necessarily bad for the other because, in theory, if they can keep the business going together, sometimes they enhance each other. And so, both Kevin and James Gunn want is, like, a vibrant and productive theatrical business. They want people going to theaters. And theater's doing well. And one way to do that is to both make great movies, right? Like
1: one doesn't have to win at the expense of the other. Totally agree. And it's one of those things where like, Maybe on the opening weekend they would compete, but overall, like, I'm watching the Batman movie or I'm watching the Superman movie. They would never open on the same weekend. And I, But I would watch both movies. Like, I'll watch a Marvel movie, I'll watch a DC movie. Uh, especially now, I mean, I would love just for him to direct everything moving forward, or at least oversee that process, so. Well, yeah, um, he's not going to be able to direct everything because,
0: you know, he's going to be more of the, you know, like, decision maker, and probably he'll probably set stuff up and have very... Close control over the directors and the writers, and maybe hire the writers and maybe give notes on scripts because he is a writer director. Right. I mean, he wrote and directed Guardians. So, like, that's his thing. He wrote Peacemaker. He writes really well and then he directs the movies that he writes, but I don't think he's got the time to direct
1: every movie. He's already worked on Guardians and he's working on the second season of Peacemaker right now. So, he already has his hands full. I'm excited to see what happens with that and what projects get announced, and, you know, we'll keep up to date on everything let's take a real quick break and let's get back talk about some basketball
0: so welcome back everyone so yeah mesh we're going to talk about some basketball here first update is super sad Brittany griner who we talked about in episode 22 actually you weren't there so i co-hosted that with jess that week but britney griner for those that don't know, is an incredibly talented basketball player. She was a collegiate champion, a WNBA champion, a Olympic gold medalist. Uh, she played for the Phoenix Mercury and also she played for a Russian team in the sort of WNBA off season, and she's been detained in Russia for the past 8 months. She was found smuggling two cartridges of THC cannabis oil in her luggage when she flew to Russia this February. And she was arrested and charged with possession of a controlled substance with intent to distribute. She lost at trial in Russia. These trials are not particularly, you know, fair or what we would see in the U.S. She happens to be a political pawn because the Russia-Ukraine conflict and the pressure that other countries are trying to exert on Russia via Ukraine. And obviously Putin needs as much leverage as he can get. So she was actually sentenced to nine years at trial and she appealed that and she lost her appeal last week. So I don't think anyone thought she had an actual shot at winning her appeal, given the sort of political climate. And it's super sad. And now she's looking at a nine year sentence unless Biden is able to execute some prisoner swap. And I was reading about these really deplorable conditions in these Russian prisons are basically you know, the modern day gulag. It's forced labor, 17 hours a day of working, horrible conditions, inhumane conditions, food shortages, rampant abuse. I mean, it's really like people go on hunger strike. Some prisoners commit suicide. It's just really the worst conditions you can imagine. And it's so sad to think that she's going to have to go through that. And she's already been detained for eight months. So it's like, you know, it's just a shame.
1: Yeah, well, hopefully they can push for a prisoner swab. I'm sure that's actually a very complicated process because... I read about, you know, Victor Bout, Russian's arm dealer who's serving 25 years, known as the merchant of death. There's another guy. These things take time, but I guess that's what Russia probably pushing for, right? They want to have that leverage to be able to do a prisoner swap.
0: Yeah. You know, these things, I think they generally don't take that much time if it weren't like the middle of a war right. with Ukraine. right, I think it probably would have been resolved by now, but it's a very sensitive situation with like wrapped up in energy and geopolitical conflict and everything else. So it's just like a morass. And that's why it's super complicated. And on top of that, Joe Biden has a lot of priorities that he needs to balance. And I sympathize for Brittany. It's obviously really sad, but is it the biggest priority for a president? I don't I don't know.
1: Right. Well, I mean one I mean, there's a lot to worry about. I yeah I guess you're right. Like how It's the middle of a war. How long could this thing take? It's been a while now. Yeah. So I guess we'll we'll just see what happens. We'll see if it happens. I don't think she'll end up serving all nine years. I mean, they probably want to get something done at some point. Well, sure. I mean, if
0: the Russia-Ukraine conflict goes on for nine more years, it's like, I think we've got some big problems. Yeah. Who knows? And does one wrap up after the other? I don't know. The reason I think it's ironic this week is, so she played for the Phoenix Mercury. Yep. And- the Phoenix Mercury and Phoenix Suns are up for sale. The Phoenix Suns and Mercury, have bankers are saying that they are valued somewhere between, uh, or the sale price, estimated sale price is somewhere between 3 and $5 billion, yeah. right? Yeah. So for, for both teams, the lion's share of that value goes to the Phoenix Suns, the NBA team. But, you know, the WNBA franchise is no slouch. They've won three championships. So the teams are going to be worth you know, somewhere between three and 5 billion or sell for somewhere between three and 5 billion. And it's like, we can watch the product. We can spend tons of money on tickets to the product and watch the games. But like, do we care about the players themselves? Yeah. That's, that's sort of like one of the themes here, but it's an interesting sale because, well, let's talk a little about the owner. The owner is Robert Sarver. He is a second generation banker slash real estate developer from Arizona You could say relatively self-made, but like I said, his dad was also a real estate developer and a banker. So he grew up in that business. He's made a lot of money through real estate, and he ended up buying the Suns and the Mercury for, I think, $400 million in 2004. Not bad return. And he was recently the subject of an NBA investigation because people had been complaining about sort of workplace culture, misogyny, racist comments. He denied it all, but the NBA ended up doing an investigation and they found at least five instances of him using the N-word, women feeling sort of belittled, abused, treated differently because of their gender and just a general sort of like toxic workplace. And so the NBA, after the investigation, they fined him $10 million and suspended him for a year, which was the maximum that they were able to do under their current CBA. And players like LeBron James, Draymond Green, Chris Paul came out and said, this is a slap on the wrist. This is insulting for the conduct that he engaged in and and the toxic environment that he created. He should be forced to sell. He shouldn't be a part of this league anymore. And some of the minority owners of the Suns came out and said the same thing. And some of the larger sponsors of the Suns threatened to cut their sponsorships if he's remained in charge. So rather than sort of go toe to toe with the NBA and all the sponsors, Robert Sarver about a month ago announced that he would explore a sale of the team. So that's why he's selling. It's not a bad time to sell. These teams are worth a lot. And he bought it for $400 million. Maybe he'll sell it for 10 times that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I read what he was saying. He was basically saying, like, I'm a religious man. I believe in forgiveness and atonement but we live in a culture right now that is not forgiving. And it's almost like he's, he's like, well, so, and therefore for the best of the team, I'm going to do this. It's like, I'm going to sell because no one's going to forget that I'm, I've am i done these things in the past. And he's basically saying no one can move on from it. Whatever is trying to save face a bit. I mean, he needs to sell. Obviously he's being pressured to sell. He owns 35% now of the team. I think when he bought it, he owned hundred percent and then he sold pieces of it over time. So, you know, 35% sell for four or five billion, you'll come up on top. I think it's going to be interesting to see who ends up buying it.
0: Yeah, you know, and like, here's the thing I mean, this is very similar to the Donald Sterling thing from eight, nine years ago when Steve Ballmer bought the Clippers because the NBA forced Don Sterling to sell. And that was the first time I think an NBA team had sold for two billion. I remember like freaking out when I saw that headline number. But before we get into who might buy it, the NBA is super lucrative, right? They're they're coming up on an expiration of their rights deal in 2025. Rumors are they're looking for a 3X, 300% increase. So they want, or 75 billion in their next rights deal, which coming out of a $24 billion deal. So like all of that increases the values of the teams, right? The more revenue there is from television, ticket sales, right? Some of that goes to player salaries, but a lot of that goes to the owners and the values of the teams. So teams that might've been worth a billion three years ago might be worth three times that now. And so good for him. He, he, he bought into a very lucrative business and I'm not condoning anything he's done as an owner in terms of, you know, the statements he made and the way he treated people. I think if he broke the rules and that there's no place for that conduct in the league, then he should sell but as far as an owner, like a fan, a sports fan, he hasn't been that bad. I mean, the Suns have been good. They were in the NBA Finals in 2021. They have a really good young nucleus. He's been like the team has performed well recently. And so, you know, I know there's some sports fans that whose who's owners don't produce winning teams. And so like they'd be, you know, like the Knicks, for example other than doing better this year, like I'm sure a lot of people would hope that there's new ownership for the Knicks, but it's not going to happen. So anyway, I just think it's, he isn't the worst owner in terms of like the on the court product, but he, the conduct the performance. He, yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I'm just wondering like to be an, I mean, obviously it's not one. I mean, I guess one person could theoretically buy the whole team, but I'm assuming it's going to be a group of people. Um, rumors of who are going to be participating uh names like obama have been dropped charles barkley was asked whether he would be a, an owner here i think in these cases it's like they would be minority owners who could be a majority owner i mean like you know we're talking like 3 to 5 billion i was looking at twitter and it was like rumors that it's going to sell between 4.4 and 4.7 i don't know where people got that specific number from but i'm just curious to know who is putting this money up That's a lot of money.
0: Yeah, well, the Broncos just sold. I mean, it's NFL, but they just sold for four and a half, I think, or four point six billion to a consortium. Basically, the Walton heirs. One of them bought them. But that's the Walmart family. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, basically, you have like a handful of, you know, hedge fund tycoons, some of the wealthiest families in the U.S., retail executives or software executives, and then you have. Potentially, like you said, like maybe they bring in a minority owner who's the face of the organization, like an Obama or a Michael Jordan or Charles Barkley. Yep. They might put up, you know, a small percentage yep. of the of the equity and then, you know, have decision making or serve as an ambassador for the team, right? right? Because if right. It was someone like Obama, he has a lot of pull with the NBA. Players would want to play for him. He's kind of an ambassador for the league. He's obviously a sports fan. He always used to talk about, you know, he used to do his bracket for March Madness right. every year right. and he was, pretty good and so i mean th- sure right like who wouldn't want him in the ownership group and charles barkley said hey if if he's in the consortium i'm in count me
1: in right charles barkley would be i mean obama and charles barkley would be cool. charles barkley obviously would be cool because it's a nice full circle for him
0: yeah because he was on the suns
1: yeah yeah well cool so we'll we'll, we'll f- wait until there's an announcement and then we'll talk about it Hopefully, uh, we'll know in the next few weeks. But let's take a break, and then let's get back. We're going to talk about chess and defamation.
0: So, Mesh, I bet you didn't think we'd be talking about chess anytime soon on Better Call Paul. No. But it's interesting because chess is, you know, it's a sport. It's relatively niche. But for those who love to play, you know, there's tournaments and and a fair amount of prize money to be won. And I don't know if you saw Queen's Gambit. I liked Queen's Gambit. It was great. Great show. Great show. And this is almost, I mean, this isn't really a real life Queen's Gambit, but this conflict could lead to a TV show or movie, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. So what you have is, just to to set the facts, you have Magnus Carlsen who is the world's number one-ranked chess player, five-time world champion, reigning champion, potentially the highest-rated chess player ever, owns a website, which is the second most popular online chess website. And he's actually inked a deal to merge with chess.com, which is the number one most popular online chess website. He lost to Hans Niemann in the Sinkfield Cup, in St. Louis in September. And then he played him again in another tournament. And he withdrew after one right. move and said, I'm not going to play with a cheater right. essentially. And he, he basically made these accusations that Hans is cheating and he cheats habitually and he doesn't want anything to do with him anymore. And then other people in the chess world have, because it's a small community have come out and said that, yeah, this guy does cheat. And so Hans admitted to cheating. He said, Hey, Hey, I cheated when I was like 12 years old, when I was 16 years old. I think he's 20 now. But I never cheated when money was at stake. I never cheated online. I just, you know, and I really regret cheating. So he's like, yeah, maybe I cheated in the past, but I don't cheat anymore. That's not me. And he acknowledged that he has cheated. But I think what's at issue is the scope and recency of his cheating. And following that, the accusations that Carlson made about Hans being a cheater he filed a $100 million defamation lawsuit against Magnus Carlsen and Chess.com and a couple of other defendants for basically colluding, communicating falsehoods to destroy Hans' career, and his future earning potential. And actually, Hans's lawyers took it one step further and said, this whole thing has been staged because Magnus can't handle defeat right? and he can't risk there being a sort of like valid competition or someone that's gunning for his spot Yep. so he's like magnus perceives hans to be a threat and he's doing this to destroy his career before it gets off the ground which i think is i mean it's a it's an extreme position to take i mean we'll see how so far magnus and the other defendants have just denied this and they've said like hey the proof is in the pudding you've cheated. It's obvious online. We have algorithms that can detect this. And chess.com actually went out and said there were hundreds of examples of him cheating, many of them online and several of them in money tournaments. So it's like
1: pervasive. Well, I mean, it's like they're playing real life chess, but the chess.com thing, when chess.com comes out and says, hey, hundreds of examples of this guy cheating, but then Magnus and Chess.com have this merger thing going on. Like, there's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot at stake for people, so it's it's kind of hard to really know what the truth is or who's right in this case. But yeah, this kid, you know, he did admit that he cheated before, and he's ashamed about it. But if Chess.com has proof that he cheated, I think that's that says a lot.
0: Right. Well, so that's the thing. I mean, I think it's a given that Hans is better at chess than I am at anything, Yeah. right? He's the number 40 player in the world, number eight player in the US. He's a young guy, so chess prodigy. But maybe he cheats. And I think in this day and age, you can have like an AI chess app on your phone yeah. and probably have access to the type of, you know, computing decision-making algorithms that would put you on par with the best players in the world, just like in the palm of your hand. So how do you really... Short of basically putting people in a room without internet, without devices, and having them play face to face in sort of like a you know off the grid match, how do you actually eliminate the risk of cheating? I don't know, but most of chess is played online. And so right. like I could be playing you in a chess game and I could have another screen open right. that you don't even see where right. I'm like studying your moves or inputting data or something's telling me where to move. I don't even know how you would cheat in chess. I don't know how you would prove that you didn't cheat. So that's what this is going to come down yeah. to because like defamation is all about a false statement that injures your earning potential and that's got to be published. So Magnus did publish something saying that Hans cheated and he thinks he does it more than he says recently and more commonly yeah. than Hans admitted to and so that's a statement. It maybe hurt his earning potential, but whether it's false or not is really the issue that is going to decide this case. Yeah, and
1: Neiman, Hans Neiman said that the reason why he did cheat when he was younger is because he wanted to play better players, so he cheated on random games so that he would get on chess.com to get access to better players, and he said he just wanted – to be able to play the best that was his reason for doing it but then you know like we said he's, he said he never did it in a tournament and he never did it when money was on the line
0: you know to me that justification doesn't make any sense that doesn't make any sense at
1: all earn wouldn't you want to earn that
0: that's like saying you know i cheat <laughs> on the driving range but i don't cheat like when it counts i just i just cheat in like these irrelevant things <laughs> i don't know chess that well and i'm not i'm not a good player so i'm sure Maybe that there's some rationale if you dig deep that isn't laughable. But how is he going to prove that he didn't cheat in this particular instance? I don't know. How do you prove
1: that? Yeah, and if you're you're someone who's like, I want to play the best players in the world because that's the only way I'm going to get better. So let me cheat to go do that, and then I'll get better. That's what he was basically saying. That's when he was a kid. And I guess to that point, he is now one of the best in the world. But yeah, for me, it's like in, in your head, it's like, well, to be the best in the world, you just keep, working at it and then eventually you become the best in the world i don't know and this comes up in other sports
0: when you know players might use performance enhancing drugs or yeah 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 you know whatever and they say that they only did it to sort of like make it into the majors or make it into the professional leagues and then they stop but who knows right like i think one of the things in our society is like yeah we are a second chance society but like once someone has been established as cheating or having this sort of, like, tendency to cheat, or having once cheated, then I think it's hard for the trust to be restored and for the public to think, okay, well, yeah, that was one chapter in their life, and they don't do it
1: anymore. It's
0: like, once a cheater, kind of always a cheater.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, so how how long does something like this take? he's going
0: to have to convince a jury, assuming this doesn't get dismissed,
1: that he didn't cheat in any of those tournaments. Right, and how do you prove that? I don't know. Right. I don't know. How does chess.com prove it either? So yeah, I'm, I'm luck. I'm invested now in this thing. Apparently there are some AI algorithms that can detect cheating.
0: And so what Magnus said was that you have to focus when you're playing chess against one of the best players in the world. And sometimes like you take time to make your decisions. And Magnus said he was just like sitting back, like looking completely aloof as if he didn't need to think, right? Like that to him indicated that he was cheat that Hans was cheating.
1: Well yeah, maybe this guy's also like he can't handle it that someone could beat him and be better.
0: I think it's very fact based to prove that he did or didn't cheat, but he's got to prove that the statement was false. So he has to prove that he didn't cheat. And didn't cheat pervasively.
1: Right. Well I guess we'll know soon enough. I mean how long does something like this take?
0: Could take a while. I think Magnus could could file a motion to dismiss it could get dismissed. There's no saying right now, but I think if it survives a motion to dismiss and survives summary judgment, then we'll be able to put a sense of, you know, if there's a trial date, like how long it might take. But right now it's too early on. It's just a lawsuit was filed. Like we don't even know if it's legit.
1: Yeah, I could see this as a as a miniseries on HBO
0: or anywhere. Yeah, I'd watch.
1: I'd watch. I'd actually watch this. I'm like, there's enough drama here to keep me intrigued.
0: This kind of makes me want to go out to Washington Square Park and
1: talk to the guys who are playing chess like, <laughs> yeah, on the weekends yeah. <laughs> and see what their take is on this. Oh, man. That would be funny. All right, folks. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you have a wonderful fall time. Make sure you're subscribed to us on the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Follow us on Instagram, Better Call Paul the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Mesh Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera. Marco Siler, gonzalez and assistant producer, Lisa Sanders. Thank you, and see you next week. Paul, take care. Thanks, everyone. Take care.